women that were participating in these or doing these techniques throughout the third trimester were experiencing less anxiety and fear going into the birth. They were experiencing in the birth less pain. They had uh, shorter labor times. They had better birth outcomes and that there was a lot less incidence of any kind of medical interventions, less rates of cesarean. But then also afterwards, they experienced two different things. One, the moms, they had a much less incidence of postpartum depression. In the study, there was less than 1% of the women that did the prenatal bonding techniques experienced any kind of postpartum depression in the first six months afterwards, which is well below international stats for incidence of postpartum depression. Hello, mom friends, and welcome to the Learning to Mom podcast. My name is Layla, and I am here to give you the rundown on all things birth and pregnancy. That way you are informed, educated, and empowered to make the right decisions for you and your family, even though you're a first-time mom. This podcast exists for you, my first-time mom friends. It exists so that you can now have a mom friend to show you the rope and answer all of your gazillion questions. From what does a contraction even feel like, to tongue ties, to inductions, to postpartum experiences, I got you covered. Here we believe that children are blessings, not burdens. We are realistic and practical about motherhood, but we don't partner bash, grumble about being a mama, or judge other moms for mommying differently than we do. We're all just learning what works best for us and for our families. So if that sounds good to you, then let's get into it. Hi, Dr. J. Welcome to the Learning to Mom podcast. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Before we jump right into the meat of this episode around prenatal bonding, would you briefly tell the listeners, I guess, a little bit about yourself and also specifically what spurred you to start the course Connecting with Baby in Pregnancy? Sure, sure. So I am a chiropractor. My special focus is on pregnancy, postpartum, and pediatrics. So um, in my clinic days, I'm around pregnant bellies and babies all day long. It's a it's a wonderful practice to have. And um, I've been doing that for years and years. It's my 23rd year in practice, but my special focus uh, in these last eight years has been on, on kiddos. And so the way I got into learning about connecting with baby and pre and perinatal psychology and birth imprints, everything we're going to talk about today uh, was twofold. One, when I started my own podcast, I had interviewed a woman who was talking about birth imprints. Anna Verwal was her name. And she was diving into this whole concept of that baby's conscious in the womb. They're having experiences in the womb and it's the experience they have prenatally as well as through the birth process and in the neonatal times that these special types of uh, psychologists were looking at how they form actual belief systems by those kind of experiences. And that was fascinating to me. I couldn't, I, I, I had never heard of things like that. It made sense to me intuitively, but I'd never heard anyone really talking about that at that point. And what she said and started in the conversation was about this whole concept of prenatal bonding that these psychologists had looked at if they are babies that are conscious in the womb, and there's lots of research that shows that, that we can connect with them in utero, moms and dads. And that will ease the transition from womb to world. And Mm. when she was talking about prenatal bonding, 
a light clicked on for me because the second reason why I was so interested in connecting with baby was that as a dad myself, I realized I was doing that during my son's pregnancy. Um, there was a time towards the end of the pregnancy. His mom was very uncomfortable. She wasn't a great slipper sleeper to begin with, but especially <laughs> in that last try, there was times where I was basically sleeping in the guest room because mm -hmm. she just needed rest. And uh, I wanted to give that to her, but I was feeling disconnected one from her and also from mm. my baby. And I just kind of intuitively started reaching out to him and like saying hello. And like, I'm here, I'm just in the guest room. And I was kind of making it up, you know, like if, <laughs> at, at, at the time I felt like, well, maybe I'm just making myself feel better. And yeah. if that was the only reason that's good, you know, because mm -hmm. I wanted to feel good about it, but it was trying to form this connection, this bond beyond just physical touch. And especially for dads, a lot of dads have this notion that like, we can't really start a relationship with our babies until they're in the world on the other right. side of the birth. And, um, I just really wanted to connect in that way. And so it's those two things, learning that connecting with your baby, reaching out is a thing and that I could, learn more about it through what, this interview that I did, I discovered uh, APA. APA is the name of the association, the um, uh, Association of Pre and Perinatal Psychology and Health that has all of these psychiatrists and psychologists that taught me what I learned about uh, prenatal bonding, how to do it, the effects of it. And that's where this course came from about how to teach not just healthcare practitioners to help pregnant moms delve into that, but then actually teach women how to do it. And then also dads as well, because that's dear yeah. to my heart as well. Absolutely. And that spurred you then to start after you were certified in APA to start the connecting with baby and pregnancy course. Yes. Cause okay. that organization as great as they are with research and everything, it can be very heady and it's not really digestible and approachable to the lay folk. And so yeah. I ate it up as a practitioner, but it was kind of, it would go right over the heads of a lot of women. So I just wanted to put it in a format that would allow women to learn the information, learn why it's in, important. And then even more importantly, how to do these processes so they can get all the benefits of it. So cool. Well, let's like dive right in. I'm sure that just peaked everybody's ears. Cause that was like, here we go. This is awesome. Okay. <laughs> So first and foremost, why should women and dads um, participate in prenatal bonding techniques? So I guess well, like, what are the benefits to it? Yeah. So the, the majority of the benefits were encapsulated in this amazing study that was done in Hungary years ago. It's called the Rafi study. Rafi was the designer of it. And he taught these prenatal bonding techniques to thousands of women and tracked them throughout their pregnancy, okay. uh, their birth, um, outcomes as well as the kind of first couple months of becoming parents and the results they had from doing these simple processes were astronomical women that were participating in these or doing these techniques throughout the third trimester were experiencing less anxiety and fear going into the birth they were experiencing in the birth less pain they had uh, shorter labor times they had better birth outcomes and that there was a lot less incidence of any kind of medical interventions, less rates of cesarean. So just that in and of itself changed 
the birth experience, one for mom and certainly for the baby as well. And then also having a more natural, um, safe birth, but then also afterwards they experienced two different things. One, the moms, they were, they had a much less incidence of postpartum depression in the study. There was less than 1% of the women that did the prenatal bonding techniques experienced any kind of postpartum depression in the first six months afterwards, which is well below international um, stats for incidence of postpartum depression. But the babies also, they were calmer babies. They were sleeping longer. They were um, ex- what they were termed as excessive infant crying was way diminished. So then mom is more content, happy and relaxed. <laughs> and that's going to take the edge off of that newborn care with and spurred the baby and the mom. And we're only talking about that, like mother baby dyad to just be that much more strong and connected and launch them as a partnership and then mm-hmm. we'll talk about dads as far as like the whole family into family life, just much more connected and loving rather than yeah. stressed. And that in and of itself, <laughs> it, it, whether you want it for feeling less fear going into of uh, the birth, which a lot of women will experience, whether you want better birth outcomes, whether you want a calmer, happier baby, whether you want less postpartum depression, those are all reasons why prenatal bonding is, is important. Absolutely. Dang. So before we jump into some of those bonding techniques, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that babies really are aware. Yeah. And I guess I just want to dive into that. Like how, what are they aware of? When are they aware? Do we have any even science about like what they're thinking about? If they have cognizant thought, give me, give me everything, Dr. J. Once conception happens, then what these studies have shown is it's definitely like towards the end of the first trimester and certainly in the second trimester that baby's five senses are booted up. You know, they're maybe not like tasting and smelling, although there's indicators that those um, neurons are firing um, because they're in the amniotic fluid and they're not breathing air or tasting food. But um, eyesight, if they shine lights on the belly of bay or of um, pregnant moms, they will notice that babies will react to the light. So they know that um, sense of sight is um, booked yeah. up. Um, hearing has been indicated that they're hearing sounds not only internally from mom speaking, but then also external sounds as well as touch. Um, there'll be, if like an amniotic, um, fluid test is done an amniocentesis and the needle hits a baby, they will react in a pain response. So we know those five mm. senses are aware of the surroundings and that consciousness of being able to sense the environment allows us to then use those senses, namely not so much sight, um, but we'll use hearing and we'll use, um, uh, hearing and touch to be able to connect with them. And so that's just in a five senses sense, but then there's also all these studies that have proven that memories are being formed in utero. And the best one is the cat in the hat, uh, uh, study in that they took cat in the hat, the book had moms read that out loud during their second trimester every day. And I think they had them stop at 32 weeks. It was either 32 or 34 weeks where they had them stop reading the book. And then after the baby was born, they would set up this 
study to indi- to figure out if this is happening or not. I don't know exactly the design of it, but they showed that when mom read Cat in a Hat, baby reacted to it, like remembered it differently than if she read a different book or if she was just speaking. They would The babies would react in a certain way that was significant for this study to show that memory was formed. And that was okay. with them stopped at 32 weeks. So we know right. that the that the ability of memory to um, to be formed can happen in utero. What week okay. that happens, I don't I don't believe science is clear on, but we know at least in the middle of the second trimester that those things are available for us to connect with our kids. That makes so much sense when. Like if you've been seeing singing a lullaby or singing anything, and then that's what calms the baby later. Yes. I was singing, you know, when you would just have a song, like a new favorite song and you're playing it and playing it, yep. you know, I'm like jamming out in the car, like all pregnancy to this one song, Myla's born. And I sang that song and she just giggled and smiled uh-huh. was so much more reactive to that song than anything. Yes. And I'm one of those that I'm just like constantly singing and jamming and didn't have a care. And I started singing that song. And it was like light bulbs. And then that becomes your lullaby of like, all right, she's not happy right now. Let me kick that song into gear. And hopefully it's a song <laughs> you like. Right. <laughs> and I've seen this stuff that's like the, you know, it might be like a rap song or something. Yes. Like that's what the baby totally. is into. I have a good friend who said the same thing. Like her, uh, his sister was one that maybe you're the same where when she had a favorite song, she just run into the ground, like play it over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Yep. And in utero, when her baby was coming, it was um, Tom Petty's American girl. She just played it over and over and over again. And then she not even knowing that this was a thing once the, right. like months afterwards, baby's super upset. And that song came on the radio because this was a while ago and there actually was radio that people listened to. And <laughs> it, wasn't by design and then the baby instantly calmed down. And so yeah. it's that familiarity and it's that familiarity of a calmer time, a peaceful time when, I mean, baby in the womb is temperature controlled, like food on demand, like it's quiet, it's yeah. uh, dark. And so it it can be a soothing technique that if you consciously choose a book, a song in utero, then that can be your Mm go-to as a tool, as a parent to be able to say, all right, let me break out that song and see if that helps out. (laughs) Maybe it's a little fuzzy right now. They're about to have a tantrum. So here we go. We need that. We need that. (laughs) I'm curious if you have ran into anything regarding babies being able to like have an experience during an ultrasound. During an ultrasound? No, I've, I've seen anecdotal studies, not research, but I've um, heard anecdotal stories of babies turning away from the ultrasound and the doctor who, who was examining this or exploring this was saying that it was something about the ultrasound. Their, their opinion was the, the radiation of it was the baby was averse to, but I haven't seen any kind of like hardcore uh, research around that. Okay. I've seen some stuff that's been coming on, but I'm not, I'm not a science person, you know? So I'm not one that's going to be like, Oh, this was like a legit study. I guess what I'm seeing is like Instagram reels. Yes. So who knows how valid that is, but something about, um, I guess it was equivalent. I hopefully I'm not just like butchering this, this reel, but it was equivalent to like a freight train being outside of your home Mm. is what the baby experiences during an ultrasound. Right. 
I would, so, I don't know. I, I, it would make sense that it does. I mean, the baby's immersed in a lot of sound inside the belly. I mean, before I was saying, you know, like inside the womb, it's quiet and dark and everything. It's not that quiet. <laughs> because like with all the noises of the gas well, my baby sounds, had to listen to me yeah. for 40 weeks so. <laughs> <laughs> right. every time you're talking it's resonating through the body cavity so it's even louder you know but also yeah. like all the gastric sounds heartbeat um lung sounds and that's another reason why on the other side of things sometimes soothing techniques indicate like shushing and white noise makers um that seemingly are loud but it it can mimic the sounds that the baby were having in utero of that, like shushing of like the heartbeat. If, you know, if you have your head on someone's chest and you listen on the breath, it's like, it's like super loud mm, and the heartbeat. That was a great invitation. <laughs> it's kind of a Darth Vader uh, impression there, <laughs> but the, that kind of noise, if you're already there and then the ultrasound on the other side of it is even higher, higher, it, it would make sense that that would be a stressor for the baby. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just curious about that. Okay. Mm -hmm. We talked about what the baby's truly aware of. Now let's jump into what are some of those prenatal bonding techniques? Yes. Is that just, you know, speaking to baby? What are those? Yeah. It's all of those things. So especially like with sound, it's speaking to baby, like talking to them out loud, um, through mom, speaking, as you were just saying, like it's resonating through the body cavity to baby, even stronger than just going out through the air and coming in through the belly. But we also know that right. mom's voice is certainly the most um, recognizable sound for babies when they come on the other side. But the second most common sound is that they recognize as dad's voice because hopefully dad is around and dad's talking a lot, whether they're consciously and intentionally talking to the baby, they're just around most of the time. Yeah. So they'll recognize that voice. Um, and so we know that going out is just speaking in, uh, we're so excited to see you. We'll talk about messages in, uh, in a second, okay. but just auditorily, whether you're singing a song, whether you're reading a book, whether you're just talking to them consciously throughout the day, there are just sweet ways of embracing that consciousness to welcome them into the world. And so a, a one prenatal bonding technique, the simplest one is just if nothing else at the end of the day before mama goes to sleep is to say goodnight to baby, maybe sing a little song as a lullaby to the baby consciously, almost like you're imagining holding them in your arms, like you're going to be doing in a few short months um, or reading a book. And those are all things that dads can do as well. Sometimes that's a really nice bonding experience for the couple to be able to mm -hmm. kind of put baby together or a, a baby to bed together without all the crying and, <laughs> and the difficulty that it can be in those first couple of months. Um, and so that's a way that dad can be involved as well. And that, and that's the mainly the auditory sense, um, physically you can do follow the leader or kind of Simon says in a way it's more follow the leader in that, you know, when, when babies in inside the womb and they're like punching out innately uh -huh. moms will touch the belly right where it is. It might be because they got sucker punched and like, Oh, you know, and, and just are soothing their own belly there. But Babies have been shown to respond to that touch. So if 
in that time where you're feeling this is like in the second trimester when baby's starting to poke and move, you can, moms can tap on that portion, uh, portion of their belly where they feel it. And I even say like, I feel you, baby, you're here and kind of Aww. acknowledging their existence in that way. But in a follow the leader sense, if you start tapping on the spot that they hit on and you go to the opposite side of the belly, or if they're at the top and go down to the bottom and you tap over there, if you do this consistently, it's either days or sometimes weeks, they'll tap back at where you are. And That's so it's a so way cool. of, it's a way of kind of playing with them of I'm over here. No, I'm over there. Right. Aww. And that's another thing dads can do as well to just have more interaction uh, with the yeah. baby. And it's a fun, playful way, I think, of connecting with the baby uh, to let them know you're you hear them, you see, That's you're um, feeling them and getting that kind of playtime in even before they come into the world. How firm do the little taps need to be? Like not firm, not firm. Okay. It's just, it doesn't like have to be can, like a can big they old feel poke just or anything. Right. Like if you're just, if your hand is just on your belly, mm -hmm. can they feel that? Like there's no additional pressure. It's just kind of laying there. I would so imagine it, they can sense it a little bit, but like a tap in a like kind of a percussive like boom, boom, boom is going to okay. resonate throughout that. And especially if a woman's got an anterior placenta and there's all that oh, yeah. padding in front, then they're not going to be able to one feel as much. And sometimes that can be disappointing for moms because they're just not feeling baby move because all that padding yeah. that's the front, but they can still pat onto it um, to be okay. able to translate that, that or stimulate this, the touch receptors. Okay. Hey mom friend, interrupting myself real fast, just to make sure that you're aware that we are doing an awesome giveaway in honor of the learning to mom podcast launching. Make sure you listen to this episode all the way through for the details at the end. Promise you, you won't want to miss it. What about you said at the beginning, something about the baby's belief systems can be ingrained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you speaking, I guess, what belief systems are we talking about? Like the belief of I'm safe, you know, like I'm yes. cared for and that, how was that studied? It's, it's fascinating because these, so th this is the whole world of what's in this um, uh, field is called birth imprints. They are psychological imprints that in babies deciding like how the world is in that say there is a long prolonged labor and babies descending into the birth canal, but not able to fully get engaged, hit under the cervix, full dilation. There might be any kind of number of things that's allowing that labor to be a lot longer. And okay. if there is an intervention, whether or not it's like forceps or vacuum or maybe a cesarean, there, there can be a feeling, a birth imprint of like, I can't do it myself. Like baby was trying to come through the birth mm. canal, and might have needed longer to get all the way through, but a, a call was made medically in order to like get baby out. And that might've been medically appropriate for life-saving techniques and everything like that. But the psychologist then would have a full history of the birth experience um, from the parents as well as for the babies and look at toddler behavior. They'd look at um, school age behavior and they were able to tie challenges that these kids were having, typically in a school setting, because that's where the, um, these behaviors first start coming up, of tying it back to birth experiences, saying like, 
a, a kid being frustrated in school of being frustrated that somebody's coming in and telling them how to like write the letters and they'll like throw a tantrum or an outburst that's different than just being coachable and teachable that indicates they had they might have had that experience um even more specific i see this in my practice clinically all the time is that there's um an experience of tactile defensiveness is what they're called. And it's babies just don't typically they love being touched and held and caressed because it, it mimics the experience they had in the womb. But if there was a lot of medical intervention, um, namely a cesarean, the first touch that they experience direct touch onto their body is typically a medical touch. It's gloved mm. hands going in and taking baby out of the pelvis. If it's a cesarean, it might even be for that. The first touch they feel is a vacuum. It might be forceps and mm -hmm. it's not the loving touch of mom receiving baby or dad or whatever birth care provider might be quote mm. catching baby. And because of that abrupt kind of more um, objective medical touch, babies just don't, they're, they're irritated and they don't like being sued. So it takes a lot of like skin to skin and mom and dad, like doing a lot of like loving touch to kind of override that. And that is something that babies like being more kind of colicky or fussy, like that could be a reason that if you don't interface that right afterwards and help like touch be something that soothe, then those kids growing up might have like sensory issues in that mm. just like clothes and, and the like yeah. being irritating on their skin. Or it might be later on that like touch, they're just averse to any kind of even affectionate touch, whether that's later from their parents or later on in relationships. And so in psychology, there's those kind of tracking of those kind of experiences that might be correlated with current behaviors. But then there's another whole world of like re-experiencing birth. And a lot of studies of toddlers specifically remembering aspects of the birth that there's no way they could understand that or what? have memories of. I, I had one patient who's four-year-old remembered getting a lip and tongue tie surgery a couple of days afterwards. And they'd never talked with the kid about having a lip and tongue tie. They remember, they talked about like the burning in my mouth because they were doing it with a, a laser. It wasn't being clipped. And so that whole world opens up to that. There's these impressions and, the, and I like the experience or the, the terminology of a birth imprint because sometimes when we talk about the extreme examples of a cesarean birth or a NICU experience, there are these traumatic experiences, yeah. which absolutely impress upon the consciousness and maybe even the physicality of the baby coming in, but it doesn't mean they're scars. So even there's, there's people that are doing um, birth um, regression work in their adult years, like going back and healing impressions that have happened there so that it's, it doesn't have to be a permanent scar on them. It's an impression. It's something that happened. We don't want to deny the experience of a traumatic birth say, but we can get the lessons from it and embrace it just as our experience and not have us hold us back. And so that is, that is the reason why these psychologists in pre and perinatal psychology explored it because they wanted to get back to root cause of like, well, why are these kids having tantrums or why are these adults having tantrums <laughs> and then wow. reach and going backwards and backwards. And, you know, I haven't, 
I'm not so sold that every single thing that goes on in my day-to-day life as an adult can be traced back to my prenatal and birth experience, but in a root cause type of sense, that's definitely something worth to explore. And something that, you know, moms either having had babies already naturally feel guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh, I screwed my kid up already. Yep. <laughs> I didn't even know I this kind of stuff. I am feeling that very much right, right. now. <laughs> or a pregnant mom hearing this for the first time may think, okay, I need to be on my best behavior and, <laughs> and make sure everything's perfect for this baby and for the months left or weeks left in the pregnancy and or the birth. And if something goes sideways, then feeling like you've damaged the baby or like they're going to be need to be in therapy for the rest of their lives because, because of these experiences, but like, we're all so much more resilient than that. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. definitely an aspect of going back into the pregnancy um, experience. Uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton's work is really demonstrative in this understanding that his work in epigenetics and how the, in the, in the environment influences genetic expression. He talks a lot about in pregnancy that stress is part of life. And every mom hearing that the stress response in their own body in pregnancy is affecting biochemically a stress response in their own baby. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm stressing my own baby up because I had a bad day. And yes, if moms can understand that if, and during pregnancy, if they're having a stressful day, baby's having a stressful day also. And one that can help change your day and that, okay, I'm going to minimize my stress throughout it. But even if it's not until the end of that day or outside of that stress or at the end of the week, or even at the end of the month, that moms can do what they're trying to do as self-care to calm themselves down after that stressful meeting or that stressful message or whatever it might be to also engage baby and help them calm down as well. So that what Dr. Lipton talks about is we all want our, our, everyone wants to be more resilient in life. And as parents, we want our um, kids to not like be so at the whims of everything that they can't handle things. We want them resilient as well. So stress being part of life, we want to teach them how to handle the stress. And that is a way in utero that you can do that. That if I'm calming myself down by taking some nice breaths, going for a walk, taking a bath, whatever is calming me down, these are tools, baby, that you can use later on to calm yourself down. So they experience not only the stress of the day, but they experience even more importantly, the resolution of that stress because it's chronically stressed moms throughout the pregnancy have chronically stressed babies on the other side. They've shown that too, that the higher stress um, mom experiences in the second and third trimester, the more irritable, the more fussy, um, the less sleeping, um, the less soothable the babies are on the other side because if you only just look at it biochemically, the stress hormones that go through mom's baby cross the placenta and they go through the baby, the baby's body as well. And that in their development will cue their nervous systems and their biochemistry to be more in fight or flight than rest yes. and digest. We want them to be able to flip back and forth, have fight and fight. Like I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm, I have a wet diaper, come get me, but then also flip into rest and digest right. so they can be peaceful. But if they're pegged all the time with stress, then physiologically their bodies are different. Um, Dr. Lipton talked about um, chronically stressed moms 
if that stress is going to the babies in that fight or flight response, what happens is the blood shunts to the arms and legs to fight the saber tooth tiger or run away. Right. So babies come out with higher birth weights because physiologically their, their muscles are bigger than a calmer baby, but then also brain wise, when you're in fight or flight blood or firing from the neocortex or from the frontal cortex, I should say, is diverted into the more reptilian brain of just reactive, trying to get away from the saber tooth tiger. And those kids aren't operating like frontal cortex as much because they've been so cued to being like, where's that? Where's that? Where's that stress coming? And they're just yeah. much more irritable and every sound and every light triggers them and wakes them up. You know, they're light sleepers. Those are the kind of ways that it translates into it. So it's a call to moms to just be as, do as much as possible to calm themselves down so that babies can be calm as well. Wow. Okay. I have one follow-up question to the yep. studies. What for the, to the Hungarian study there, uh -huh, when right. we talk about the benefits of this pre of the prenatal bonding techniques, how much do you have to do? Like, is this 24 mm. seven? How much were no. these women who saw those benefits doing? These women? No. So it's not a 24 seven thing by any means. They only measured the connecting process, the bonding techniques where they were doing it 15 to 20 minutes a day. And that's okay. even a, a lot for a okay. lot of women will do like in the, the, the guided meditations and the messaging stuff that I teach, it's like five to seven minutes, which usually okay. is a starter. And then talking throughout the day adds more minutes and the like, but yeah. there isn't anything like a protocol of like, if you don't have 15 minutes, it's, it, there's no benefit, okay. um, Interesting. It, it, but it's short. It's not like you have to be like dialoguing with your unborn baby all day long in order to <laughs> make sure okay. the birth goes well. Well, that's good to know. All right. Yeah. Um, now what about, what are some misconceptions that people may have around prenatal bonding? Uh, the, the biggest pre misconception is that it like, it's hooey, that it doesn't mean anything and that it doesn't, okay. doesn't work. I mean, this study, the Hungarian one, the Rafi study, like shows that there's experiences the babies are having of being less crying, sleeping longer, um, sleeping better at night, like are, are things that are in that show up because the baby doesn't have a, 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 a placebo effect <laughs> for these, um, bonding techniques. Um, I think another, just as we were talking about with time was a misconception is that you have to do it all day long, all the time, um, in order to be able to connect. And, and we know that in our personal relationships that sometimes we might be like busy, busy, busy going, going, and it only takes like one moment to slow mm. down, connect, it might be a hug, it might be a kiss, it might just be an eye contact, it might be just a couple of words and like, boom, you're connected. And then you go back so to the, <laughs> hopefully don't go back to all the busy, 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 but it is, it can happen in a moment. And then I think something, the third thing is many parents, dads included, but mostly the women will feel super guilty and stressed hearing this information for the first time in that I can relate. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whether yep. <laughs> most of the time it's parents already that look back on the pregnancy experience, the birth experience, the first couple months, who knows, like any yeah. of those things. And we can all find times where we were not our best selves. <laughs> we can yeah. all find times where learning this information or hearing it for the first time, my project of like, Oh my God, I screwed them up already. And 
again, I want to reiterate that these are experiences. They don't have to be scars. If they're acknowledged and worked through, and then they can be healed. And there's always time for healing, whether your kid's six or they're six weeks, whether they're 36, having healing happen is always possible. Every We can all change and it doesn't have to be a death sentence. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. something where like I'm in a box, like, oh, I'm a C-section baby. So that's why I'm the way that I am. Right. It's just yeah. more information to be able right. to, um, to action on and be empowered by. So especially if you're, if you're pregnant right now and under, just understanding that if you're having a stressful day, potentially baby is having a stressful day too it will inspire you to have a less stressful day, hopefully. But if you do, to take care of yourself because you're taking care of your baby. The, yeah. the environment your baby is in right now is your body. They're, the womb is their 100% their um, environment. They're not in the world yet. They're inside your body. So the more you can, and you have way more control over your own body and the experience that you're having it than you do the outside world. So it's a great way of, allowing baby to be a part of your life before the birth even happens and that get that nurturing and those self-care as well as like baby care things um, started right from the beginning. Yeah. I think viewing it as a tool instead of a life sentence. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, this is for you parents that aren't yet parents yet. Like we'll always look back and be like, Oh my gosh, I wish I knew that then. I would have done things totally different, right? There's a myriad of things, whether it's foods we gave our kid or the way that we did nap times or whatever. Like there's always, we always could have done better. And at the same time, we can't change the past. But what we can do is change the future Mm. by changing the moment in the present in the way we interact with our kids and the way we live our lives. And so if you're in your pregnancy, great. You get to start this right before. If you're, if you're on the other side of the birth already, great. Let's start now. Yeah. That is, that's a really great little like disclaimer and just reminder that. Yeah. I mean, I'm feeling like, Oh, I did it all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're all doing the best we can. And I always joke with my patients, like by the eighth kid, we'll have it all figured out. And like, (laughs) sorry, the first one was the guinea pig and everybody else we learned along the way. And by the eighth kid will be perfect. But, and then parents joke of like, oh, there's no way I'm having eight kids. (laughs) We're good with where where we're at now, but we live and we learn. And if we can involve our kids in that, then they see in a modeling sense is a whole other conversation, but like they're modeling what we're doing. So if we can show that we can make changes and improve things, then they'll know that they can improve and make changes for their own lives later on. Yeah, that's true. I want to backtrack to something that you said at the beginning. And I apologize. I feel like I am all over the place <laughs> in terms of like, oh, and I want to backtrack and I want to fast forward. And then we want to rewind a little bit. And I, I think this is so fascinating to me that I have like a thousand questions in my brain. So yeah. I'm just trying to remember like, so I'm no, like no, okay, no. yeah, no, I had that one. So you were talking about some of the messaging we can give baby. Mm-hmm. What are some of those messaging messages? The absolutely most important uh, message for baby, I believe, is the message of that baby being welcomed and wanted. I think mm. that um, meditation, it's a guided meditation in the program, is basically just going through over and over again, like that you're welcomed into the world and 
we're so excited to meet you. The world's going to be this like amazing, beautiful place. I can't wait to show it to you. And I can't wait to learn from you. All those things that show the baby is like, is welcomed and wanted. Yeah. And that's it. And not every person with any kind of pregnancy starts off that way. Yeah. If you're going all the way through the pregnancy, there's a choice that you're making to bring that baby in. And so there is a level of welcoming and wanting them to come in as stressful as, as a pregnancy might be going back to that kind of message, not only for the baby to hear, but then also you hearing yourself say that allows you to embrace yeah. that whole experience in a totally different way. Um, whether the pregnancy was unexpected or super planned because you've been on a fertility journey forever, there is that moment of embracing this life that's coming in and that bond and that connection is lifelong and it's, it's sacred. And so to start that right away in the bonding process of the message of welcome and wanted along with, I love you. I'm so excited to meet you. All those things are just yeah. wonderful things to bathe the baby in and like marinate them in that kind of love and marinate them in that kind of messaging is, uh, I mean, they're going to be excited to come out um, and meet you on the other side. Maybe that's why in the study they had a shorter labor times because the baby was like, all right, let's get to it. <laughs> I want to get into mom's arms. I'm She's excited. Amazing. You told me great things about this place. <laughs> I hear this dad guy with his deeper voice. I want to see what that guy's all about. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, speaking of dads, what are some ways that dads specifically can bond with baby in the womb? I know you mentioned the tapping, like dads can do that. Dads can speak with them. Are there anything else? Not really. Here. It's those, it's those methods awesome. of like tapping of singing a song, reading a book. It might feel hokey. And at the same time, your experience with the song and calming your baby down on the other side. Like if it's only like, all right, I'm going to pick the song and sing every night because then I'll be that much more effective at soothing baby on the other side, which is a very, um, common stress of dads of and worry that they're not going to be able to be good at soothing mm. uh, their baby. And if you have this tool, you'd be a little more confident. If you have this tool, you'd be that much more effective and that will build confidence. And that radiates out to mom knowing like, oh, wait, when he says he's got this, like he really does got this. <laughs> and then that is a more bonding experience for one, the whole family, but specifically for dads to connect in beforehand rather than feeling, I mean, some dads think like, well, I'll be able to like connect with my kid when I can throw a ball with them. You know, it's like, well, yeah, no, like there's a lot to do beforehand and you can connect with your baby when they come by doing diaper changes and you can like singing and, and going for walks and things like that, but you don't have to wait until they're actually here. It, I want dads to hear that you can bond and connect beforehand because I mean, obviously like moms have a physical connection. They have an emotional connection, a spiritual connection with growing this baby inside their belly for nine months. And we don't have that. We're, yeah. we're on the outside of that, but we can connect emotionally and physically and with through touch and through our voice to be able to start that relationship now and have that connection that will serve you all the way throughout to like your parenthood. I see that too. I remember Myla kicking you know me and I'd be like, oh, she's kicking, she's kicking. Come here, come here, babe. And then of course she'd like stop right when he came. Right. You know, like yeah, uh, good shot. But now we know for kid number two, we do the tap thing. 
totally. There you totally. go. And, you know, and it's, it's frustrating sometimes like missing that window, you know, like, oh, yeah. I wanted to fail it. Right. And there's something all dads, um, I used to do a new dads um, group uh, where we were just kind of supporting each other with these um, new dads. And a lot of them did not feel connected with their baby for the first three yeah. months. It was very common that once it was a safer um, space for them to share that and other dads were doing the same thing. Like it's not uncommon for dads to not, they'll feel they'll love their baby and they feel a call to support and protect that kind of protector um, in us is there, but they're looking at the way their wives are or bonded with them. And like, all right, I don't feel that kind of melty like love. And part of that is like, we don't have the oxytocin blast that um, women and babies get to connect right in the first um, couple hours. But the more you can do these things, then you'll feel those kind of connections and lead with the taps. Right. So instead of like, Oh, I missed it. But like, Hey baby, what about over here? And seeing if baby will play in that way with dad. That's awesome. Um, dang, this has been really, really good, really eye-opening. Um, I want to make sure though, before we close up that we talked about it, I guess the main points, was there anything else that, um, we need to talk about today or that perhaps we didn't cover that you think should be said? Well, I I really want to iterate after this kind of discussion and it's, it can be really eye-opening, um, for, parents to hear this kind of information. And usually the experience is stress and guilt about past experiences, or I didn't do enough and the like. And I just really want to hit home on like, it can always change that having this information instead of it looking as something to beat yourself over the head of another thing as a parent, I didn't do to use it as a tool um, to empower you to just kind of embrace the the experience that's been happened and acknowledge it and then work through it and know that, all right, this, this is what happened, but it doesn't have to like shape our lives in such a negative way. It can be used to just like any kind of traumatic or negative experience. We can get the lessons from it and use it as a bonding tool and move forward from it. So I, I, as much as I love talking about all of this and it's so fascinating invariably every woman like will have that guilt and I want to try and alleviate just some of the mom guilt a little bit. There's no way I can get rid of all of that out of a line out the door. If I could get rid of the, <laughs> all the um, mom guilt, but it's, it's, it's our experience. It's life. And the more we can like live life consciously and embrace these things and help our kids work through these kind of things, they're going to launch into their own lives, just that much more strong, that much more confident and powerful. And I think that's what every parent wants for their kids. At least I, that's what I want for my son. Yeah, absolutely. Dang. Okay. Well, what a great like disclaimer. Cause I felt that so much. I mean, I think yeah. I've said that like five times throughout this episode of like, yeah. oh, I'm experiencing some stress. I did it all wrong. Yeah. Well, it just <laughs> so shows like how much that. you care and how much you love your child. Right. And mm-hmm. what a great parent you are that you care about it rather than like, Oh, screw them up. All right, fine. Like, you That's know, moving true. on, like it's showing true. how much you care. Right. And yeah. so at the very least, if you were to have another child, then you would be able to use this information. But again, as I was saying too, for like, for your kiddo now, like you can look at them maybe a little differently that if like, okay, these experiences happen, like maybe that's why they have a shorter fuse when this comes and we just need to connect mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, yeah. 
because they're if they're having a hard time in that not that like you made that happen because of the experience but just seeing like okay their little bodies and their little nervous right. systems are a little wound up let's let's do what we can do to connect and help them through it absolutely now my last question for you this has been just amazing i mm. know people are going to want to find you after mm. this episode so how can people find you dr j Sure. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's all on my website, drjwarren.com. Like all the courses, the prenatal bonding course is called, uh, connecting with baby. I also have a bunch of courses for new dads. One about like the, um, dads in pregnancy and birth and their role, um, baby soothing techniques for dads and the transition of fatherhood and all the information there. You can find me there. And, uh, it's Dr. J Warren is where all the handles are. <laughs> if you want to reach out and ask me any kind of questions. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. This has been so fun, so enlightening and really mind blowing. I'm glad. I'm glad. I love this information. And when somebody else like kind of gets lit up by it too, uh, just is wonderful. Hey, just as I promised, here are the details for the awesome giveaway that we're doing in honor of the learning to mom podcast launching. It's the perfect giveaway for you in your pregnancy. You can win a pregnancy pillow and a pair of maternity leggings. Here's how you enter to win. Follow the Learning to Moms Instagram account, which is learningtomom.podcast, and post a screenshot to your story of you listening to one of these first four episodes. Make sure that you tag me so I can see it at learningtomom.podcast. The giveaway ends this Sunday night, September 24th, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern.